1: to the home I'm Tiffany Coburn. If you enjoyed this, please
2: follow the link to download my latest music. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. There is a place in the heart of God that very few have gone to. It is a place of such magnitude, such glory, but we have, in our modern culture,
3: turned aside from this place of glory. I want to share with you today the road to that place
2: of glory. When Jesus was here amongst us, he gave what was called
3: the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the location for that sermon was just north of the Sea of Galilee. It's a a hillside. It's referred to as a mountain, and in Israel it would be a mountain, but it was not steep. It was grass-covered. It was very pleasant. In fact, today, right now, there is a banana grove on that hillside where Jesus taught. The Sea of Galilee is fed by the melting snow of Mount Hermon, by the many springs that are in that area. They flow down and form a short river that flows into the Sea of Galilee, keeping it fresh, and the Jordan River flows south toward the Salton Sea. This location was close to where the disciples always took their fish, the village of Magdala, where the fish would be processed, and then sent on to Rome. It was on this hillside that they were all familiar with that Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up and sat down. The disciples gathered around him and the crowds gathered where they could listen. And Jesus began to address in this full sermon
2: a complete form of the Christian life. He began by saying, Blessed, or how happy,
3: are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this, that we call the Beatitudes, is the summation of all of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything is included in a concise form, What Jesus is going to say in these Beatitudes would be shocking for them, and when we understand, it will likewise be shocking for us. He says the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor. He says, how happy are the poor. Well, those destitute in poverty do not celebrate their poverty. But Jesus is saying there is an utter poverty that if you begin to understand what it is you will be very happy because of where it is going to take you This word poor in the Greek it means utterly unable to do anything to change your situation of poverty you have no skill You have no ability. You can try as hard as you can try, but you cannot change your situation. Now, there are other words in Greek for poor, and and they mean with hard work you can change your situation. The American spirit is a can-do spirit. Just give me a chance. I'll go to work. I'll change my situation. Often those born in poverty make a vow to themselves in childhood that this will not be their lot in life. And they expend every energy they have to try somehow to break out of that poverty. Some men are able to break out of that poverty and others are not. But in this word in the Greek, there is no breaking out of this poverty. And Jesus says,
2: Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why would he say that? Well, first, poverty of spirit is the cornerstone of
3: all deep piety. As in conversion, a sense of guilt is the beginning of repentance. So in heart purity, a consciousness of inward depravity is the starting point to full salvation. You can't get a sinner to repent until you show that sinner his sin. Neither can you get believers to seek for cleansing until they begin to understand the inward corruption that is still in their hearts. An inward consciousness of the inward depravity not sin not rebellion against God but something of the very character
2: and as a Christian begins to see this oh yes he's been converted
3: and he's left his sin he is no longer walking in any known rebellion against the most high God He's been changed. He's a new creature. He is not the same old man. But there is yet a much deeper place called in Scripture entire sanctification or called by many of the old timers including John Wesley called heart purity. A deep work of the Holy Spirit of maturing and changing
2: a man or a woman. People who think themselves great and do not
3: seek knowledge are never anything more than conceited. And they live in that conceit all of their lives. They haven't even enough sense to know that they don't know anything It is a consciousness of our ignorance. This is the starting point to wealth and learning, as in things of material wealth. Usually the one who strives the most for riches is one who started with that biting
2: sense of poverty. The Lord begins to unveil for our eyes our poorness in our prayer life. We begin to sense there's an absence of the deep presence of God that our heart desires. And we begin to pray in a different way. We begin to sense the spiritual poverty
3: in the sermons we listen to. We begin to sense the poverty, the poorness in the
2: songs and the music of the modern day. In our hearts, Holy Spirit begins to call us to recognize, pardon me, to recognize a great lack in our hearts. Now today,
3: if you don't sense any of that poorness, if you don't sense any
2: of that that lack in your hearts, I really can't help you. The Beatitudes
3: are about beginning to recognize that
2: total poverty in our spirit when we read the stories
3: of the old timers who laid down their lives, when we begin to read the scriptures and we begin to see the intensity and the
2: pureness of the Apostle Paul or Peter or especially in the gospel and and first epistle of,
3: of our wonderful brother John, We begin to see a difference between their walk and our walk. We come to a place where we just can't stand
2: that difference anymore. There has to be more. And we begin to be conscious of spiritual poverty.
3: Now we can hide that spiritual poverty with intellectual arguments We can hide that spiritual poverty with action, with activity, with service to Jesus. But always there is that nagging in our heart. What I'm trying to say to you today is that these Beatitudes are sequential. One builds on top of another. You don't take one beatitude out like a slice of bread out of a loaf, you know, they're all interconnected, they're all one loaf, And so, when you come the very beginning place of this of this conversion process that will happen in your heart now, please don't get confused. I'm talking about two different things. Conversion is when a sinner repents of his sin and is made into a new person. The Beatitudes lay out the course that he must follow for that conversion process. But the process is the same process, but at a much deeper level, to move then into a deeper place with Jesus. The first in conversion is leaving our sin, being transformed. And that process also begins at recognizing utter poverty. Recognizing that we can't free ourselves of sin. That we can try to behave, we can try to make ourselves measure up, we can try as hard as we can, but we're not going to be able to do it Being born from above is the miracle work of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with Him. As we repent of our sin, as we confess our sin, as we leave our sin by His glorious power, the blood of Jesus. But after we have then walked for a while in that conversion... There begins to be an understanding. There begins to be a place of of deep moving of the Holy Spirit where we begin to recognize there is still yet a poverty
2: in our spirit. And as we recognize that poverty in our spirit, as we become conscious of our shallowness, as we become conscious of our of our own heart. It's a new heart. But we begin to recognize the shallowness of that heart. We begin to recognize our spiritual poverty. And there is a piety that our heart desires. Now, if you
3: are full of activity, if you are always rushing to the next appointment, if you are always scrambling for the next dollar, if you are engaged in all of the entertainment of the world, you will never know what I'm talking about. What I'm speaking about comes out of meditation and prayer in the Word of God. It comes out of the Holy Spirit having time to deal with our hearts. And as we become conscious of this spiritual poverty the very next beatitude is where we move.
2: Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. There comes a weeping
3: into our heart. There comes a lament over our depravity. We begin to see our own Shallowness in the light of God's Holy Spirit.
2: We may even begin to see a self-life that's troublesome.
3: This is where I've been most recently. Not a self-life that walks in any known sin, but a self-life of choosing to be places and do things that have not come from the hand of God that have not been directed by the Holy Spirit this self-life begins to grow and so we have our life in the Spirit we have our life in Jesus and then outside of that we have our American life righteous, not walking in sin but still our life and the Holy Spirit has just been speaking to me
2: that self-life has to be utterly cut off these are things in our in our character they cause us to grieve we see a hardness in our spirit we don't understand it we see a judgment in our spirit we don't understand it we begin to see a depth In the Holy Spirit, it causes us to be very small. And so
3: we begin to pray about these things. We begin to tell the Lord about it. We begin even to tell our friends about it. Usually they'll just try to comfort us and say, Oh, there, there, you're okay, you love Jesus, you're not walking in sin.
2: They're not conscious of the condition of their own heart. They can't feel the anguish that we feel over hurting another, over cutting off a brother, over speaking words that we believe are righteous but are not out of love, words that hurt others. But in the end, they hurt us so much more. You see, there
3: are two kinds of repentance one is for the sinner over his sins, and the other is for the believer over his own heart condition, the shallowness of his own heart. And this causes us to begin to grieve. Both Isaiah and Job experienced this in their personal
2: lives. Blessed are those who mourn. We grieve now, but then Jesus comes and he leans over us and he says to us, Blessed are the humble for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. What this leads us to is a a humility of spirit that we've never known before, a sense of conviction
3: about how little we are, about how very unworthy we are,
2: Often the idea can rise in the heart of a Christian, I'm somebody,
3: and we esteem ourselves to be good, fair, respectable
2: Christians. But then we begin to understand the deeper issues. And finally we have to begin to let the Lord humble our heart. When God shows us our poverty, that's when this man
3: Bevington used to say when he needed a prayer answered, he had to be put on the lathe and whittled down so small
2: that he couldn't find himself anymore. Well, this is what begins to happen when we begin to see our own weakness our own desperate need. Our self-esteem is blown away. We see our poverty. And as we pray, as we own our poverty, our poorness, we begin to be whittled
3: down on that lathe of God and become smaller and smaller and God becomes
2: bigger and bigger until simply we can't find ourselves outside of God anymore.
3: We we get to a place where we begin to think ourselves smaller than everything else. And we are. Self-conceit and dignity and regard for our unworthiness and unprofitableness. All that is the outgrowth of mourning, which is the outgrowth of that consciousness of spiritual poverty.
2: It becomes a cross for a person who is humble to be pushed into public notice. he desires to hide to move out of sight when we get there we're getting
3: toward the tropics of divine grace toward full salvation i've watched my own heart and i've watched other men who in public meetings desire to be praised honored recognized
2: When you begin to enter truly into Jesus Christ, this will all disappear. You will no longer desire to be recognized or lifted up. When you go
3: to stand before a crowd to speak the
2: gospel, you don't want an introduction except simply Come now and listen to the Word of God. We
3: today find too much glory in the praise of men. It shows a poverty of spirit that is not recognized.
2: It shows a foolishness of heart. Our heart doesn't desire it when we become humble before God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you see A proud man or a proud woman lives on the mountain top. He
3: takes in the grand view of life and surrounding country
2: But that man cannot see God. Now the next beatitude is the next in these
3: precious steps outlined by Jesus. How happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, after dicusune, after innocence, for they will be filled.
2: So the promise is that when we enter into that poverty, and we begin to weep over our own lack, something changes in us. God humbles us. But he doesn't leave us there, because now begin to trust us. The next step is to hunger and thirst after righteousness.
3: You will not hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yes, you may hunger and thirst after knowledge, after intellectual understanding, but you will not hunger and thirst after righteousness until you have come to be absolutely nothing in your own eyes.
2: And there springs up then an intense longing to be like Jesus.
3: Before you get to this place, you've always wanted to be better.
2: Pardon me. Most of all, you're willing to go forward to the altar
3: call to seek to be better and to do better.
2: But you're not ready to do real business with God
3: until you take these first steps toward piety
2: of beginning to understand your spiritual poverty. Till you begin to weep over that poverty. Begin to be humbled. And then you finally reach a place from
3: which you cannot retreat. When a fish is about to bite, he can get away. But if he goes beyond a certain
2: point in reaching for the bait, in goes the hook. And it's too late for him to retreat. The
3: more he tries to get away, the deeper goes the hook. Every effort to retreat only increases the hopelessness of his position.
2: So when a man says, I want to be better, a great deal better, They
3: may even rise early in the morning to pray or go to the altar.
2: They can still back away. They can still leave the gospel because it's too hard. It's too tough.
3: But when you get to that place where you have perfectly laid down your pride,
2: And this intense hungering and thirsting after Jesus comes. You can't back
3: out anymore. There comes a place in your heart where you say, okay, it's either to be made like Jesus or hell. The Holy Spirit draws you to a point where you see very clearly that you must be holy or you must go to hell. It's God who draws your soul to this place, and it's glorious because the Holy Spirit will create such a hunger and thirst that it will carry you through everything. Hunger's a tremendous appetite. Thirst is a much stronger one, however. Very few people have been hungry or thirsty. Jesus takes these two powerful appetites and he puts them together.
2: And then he says, this is what it means to crave God, to be like Him. It's like craving food and water. The soul can
3: barely sleep. Its longing is so great to be like Jesus.
2: The soul begins to break in its longing to be close to Jesus. Come to a place where you despise your own gifts and your own talents and your own mind.
3: You lose all respect for your place in the work of God or in the church. You now live in that valley of
2: humiliation where all you can see is Jesus. My dad used to work on a farm and on some of the silos that he would climb into.
3: He said when you close the silo door and you would look up, you could see the stars during the daytime. It's in the valley of humiliation that you get to view Jesus. You can't get this view anywhere else. when you get sunken down so low you lose sight of other people and you lose sight of everything in the world. You'll look up and you'll see Jesus. You'll see beauties you never saw before. This proud man who lives on the mountaintop, who takes in the grand surroundings,
2: he'll never see the stars. He'll never see the deeper things of Jesus. It's the one way down in that that deep,
3: dark place that can even see the stars in the daytime. From the gilded peaks of worldliness,
2: you cannot get a view of Jesus. Now, that next beatitude quickly comes to us Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.
3: Merciful is where your heart melts and you lose your hardness and uncouthness.
2: You're coming now to a place where the claws fall from your hands and feet.
3: And you just feel in your inner being like being kind and tender to everybody.
2: This thirst for God produces mercifulness. And now you're very close to the blessing. This mercifulness says, I'm not going to bite that one. You get a
3: a nasty phone call, or you get a, a nasty confrontation, or you get a, a text message that is harsh.
2: Your first inclination may be to reply and defend yourself. But if you've begun walking in this Sermon on the Mount, you may write out that text message as I did recently. And I showed one that I love, the text message. Thought a moment and I said You're right. I'm to be merciful. I'm not I'm not to use my claws or to bite. I'm to humble my heart.
3: Please understand, this is a day-by-day living where we humble our heart before God, where we lay down our rights, where we don't defend ourselves. Many accusations have been placed against me through the years. Judgments, accusations even judgments and accusations of wrongdoing. I used to try to defend myself. I can't do that anymore. I've said much worse things about myself than anything you could possibly say about me. I've recognized that I'm... I'm not anyone special. This morning in my prayer closet I was weeping before Lord,
2: saying, Jesus, I'm the least of your children. I stand by faith you have not left me. I stand by faith that you are building the National Prayer Chapel. I stand by faith that you are in your great mercy moving to win Washington, D.C. in revival power to our blessed Savior. See, this whole
3: journey, called the gospel, is a journey out of darkness and out of bondage, into the light, into love and joy and peace, into freedom. But it's not enough to simply say, I've been converted. I'm not walking in any known sin. I'm clean before God.
2: It's not enough to say that. There's a deep inner work that must be accomplished in piety, in recognizing our own poverty, in weeping before God. and giving up even the last vestige that people should listen to you. I don't come today with any sense that
3: you who are my precious brothers and sisters have any obligation to listen to this radio broadcast. I'm speaking about things that are not quickly grasped. I'm speaking about things that
2: may make you uncomfortable. They make me uncomfortable. I'm not trying to tell you I'm right because I'm not. I come as one beggar to speak to another, saying I found a place where there's food. It's the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that we eat and drink together as brothers and sisters. We begin to walk in that poverty of spirit. We begin to walk in
3: that mourning over our words that have hurt another.
2: And a great hunger and thirst begins to arise in our hearts. And as we cry out to God over that, we get whittled down to nothing. We don't defend ourselves anymore. We don't protest our rightness anymore. We let go of being right. It's okay if someone thinks we're wrong. We don't have to prove something. And we begin to walk with great mercy toward others. we begin to be led by the Holy Spirit up the steps of that golden stairway. And at the very top of that stairway, there's a, a locked door. The only way you can unlock that door is to finally and fully give up your self-righteousness, the root of bitterness in your heart, the root of
3: unforgiveness, the root of accusation. These have to be surrendered before that key of love will work to
2: open that door at the top of the golden stairway. We somehow have to give up finding fault with a brother
3: or a sister. Instead, we have to give up the right of being offended, and we begin to be filled with
2: mercy for a brother or sister.
3: We begin to lose sight of
2: everybody's defects. I know how it is. I give my very best sermon,
3: and people walk away and criticize it, Or feel criticized. And so the result is we seem to always be on guard. We can't open up and just talk honestly and lovingly with one another. We have to be on guard. Watching carefully everything a person says
2: with a prejudice toward being provoked by them. I've been so easily offended and my sense of propriety has been so offended so many times. It's this great I that has to be handled so carefully. We're a lot like a glass bottle. It seems that everything jars
3: our nerves. But when God begins to fill us with mercy,
2: we don't take offense anymore. So great is our thirst for God that we don't have time to search for defects in other people. This mercy is. Poured out especially brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It's also poured out for the poor, to the wicked, to the person who doesn't
3: see things just in the same light that we do. A spirit that says all others do better than I and if they had the advantages that I have, would be a great deal better. And as we begin to recognize other people and celebrate them and stop accusing and stop s- smelling the
2: stench of their failure, our whole heart begins to melt the summer sun melts the ice. It's a grand thing to let a heart go all to pieces before God. That's where I was this morning, weeping before the
3: Lord, recognizing that I have no right to judge another, that I have nothing to defend, or argue about. Again, I renewed my vow with Jesus that I would only receive from his hand what he chooses and whom he
2: chooses to give to me.
3: If everyone were to walk away from the National Prayer Chapel,
2: it would simply deepen the humility of my heart, but it would not change my heart. I am receiving from the hand of God only what he chooses to give me.
3: And he has given me the assignment of proclaiming his word. And so wherever I am, I am going to proclaim that word with
2: kindness and mercy and humility. Because my heart has been completely broken before a holy God. Where are you in this process? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have I been speaking something foreign to you today? It's my hope that as you listen to this message, and I hope more than one time, that you'll begin to catch I saw a t shirt yesterday a man was wearing and it was so appropriate. The T shirt said I can explain it. I can explain it. But only you can experience it. I can talk about this path toward heart purity. But it's a path we all have to take
3: for ourselves, in our own way. I can't judge where you are in that path or say, Oh, you're not on this path.
2: No, I wasn't appointed as the judge for you. But I do have to be faithful to the Word of God.
3: And if you're walking in any known sin, I have to confront that and call you out of it
2: and call you to repent. And if you're walking in in this poverty of heart, I'm to encourage you. The next step is blessed are the pure.
3: You see, when you take a step of faith to get the blessing of full salvation in the fullness of heart purity when you're all broken up and milled down before God, then God's heart is full of compassion toward you and you will see God. Your heart is pure. The next is peacemakers or peace bearers. Now, when you get a pure heart, the next thing is to bear it around. Let others know it and feel the benefit of it. You commence by being poor in spirit. Now, you're going to witness to other people in love and mercy and kindness, with peace. It's like a goblet. You're now going to take a drink of water to everyone in your family, in your outward life. And then it says, Blessed are you when men shall persecute you. It's only when you are a witness to this wonderful fullness in Jesus that you will be persecuted. They won't persecute you for being poor in spirit, they don't they don't care how much you cry or mourn. They don't even care if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the minute you begin testify to what Jesus has done in your heart, you'll find that Jesus was crucified because he was holy, and because not because he was holy, but because he testified that he was the Son of God. Persecution always comes on the point of testimony that
2: we are walking in Jesus. Now I pray that today you understand a little more about the journey of righteousness.
3: Where our heart is softened and filled with mercy where you become conscious of inward purity.
2: We're not talking about sin. We're talking about an inward humility. we talking about the whole loaf called the Beatitudes. Now we're almost out of time for today. I'm eager to hear from you You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm
3: Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. If the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and you'd like this message to be continued in Washington, D.C., Pilgrim's Progress is a faith ministry and we stand waiting on God to provide the resources for this ministry. So if you're moved in your heart to give today, would you send your, your offering to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, but you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I'd like to hear from you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person listening today, understanding, and that you would carry them through this journey that I've described today. Lord, God bless each of these precious ones listening to these friends and family members. God bless them today. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.